Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Come on, it's a celebration. We gotta be loud. We got hundreds of people at home wishing they could be in here right here with you and you guys get to be here this morning. That's an awesome thing. So I'm gonna say it one more time and let's all get in it together. And if you're at home, you live in an apartment, I want your neighbors to call the police of how loud we say this. I'm going to say Merry Christmas and we're going to scream it back. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ah, yeah, there we go. Today is a good day. I'm so excited. I, in the true Jordan form and pursuit form, will not be preaching a normal Christmas message because I don't even know what that is. I'm going to preach a message, though, Uh, this morning that has dominated my heart and my soul and my mind uh, in the most beautiful way. And my my prayer has been all week long, um, especially the last two days, it's just been heavy to pray that, that the Holy Spirit will just reveal to our hearts and just reveal to our minds the full depth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and that we could return uh, our praise and honor and love to him in a way that is at least heading in the direction of worthy. So I'm going to tell you a story. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 39 in just a minute, and while you guys are flipping there, you can get your phones out if you need to do that, you want to do that. Um, I'm going to tell you something. Last week, we had an opportunity. God... Uh, opened up a door to have what I'm just, in my heart, I see as a Christmas miracle. And that is to uh, radically love someone uh, as a symbol and uh, as a picture of the way that Christ radically loved us. We had an opportunity to do that last week. Uh, if, if, you, if it's your first time here, if you weren't here last week or you uh, have been hiding under a rock somewhere, uh, God opened up an opportunity for our church uh, to meet a beautiful daughter of God whose name was Kelly, is Kelly. Uh, she was a homeless woman who was living in a tent in the woods, and one of our people came across her, and uh, just a burden was just kind of placed in, in her heart and, and posted uh, and asked for prayers and asked if anybody could come and help Kelly, and, and then there was a burden just a burn I've almost never experienced in my life showed up in me for Kelly. And then I think a burden came into the heart of our church because last week people gave so generously in a way that I have never seen before in my life personally. Uh, We needed $68,000 to buy a home for Kelly to live in. And you guys gave over $120,000 in one Sunday. One Sunday. And, and what I love about this, what I love about this, and I think that this is a, I think this is a beautiful thing and a good thing and a God thing, is there's, you know, there, there are several, you know, obviously in, in, in every community, every church, there are people with, with, you know, greater resources than others. And there were several men uh, and women who were on the outskirts who are, are people of great means who did not give because they were going to, uh, and jokingly, in the words of one of them, faithlessly wait till we fell short and then provide the rest. Uh, and, and there were several doing this. And, and why this is important to me is because um, what, that, that money that was given, that was, 
that it was a bunch of $50 gifts and $500 gifts and $1,000 gifts, and, and it was the widow's might. It was people giving of their heart, uh, giving radically of their heart, and, and I believe that God is using it. It's hard for me to tell you how, but we're already seeing the way God is using it, not just in our church to change us, uh, not just to change Kelly and Kelly's life forever, but to change our community. Uh, it, it's crazy. It's crazy what, how God has used this. And, and I, want, I want you to know, we're, she's going to be able to move in tomorrow. It's a crazy thing. She's going to be able to have Christmas this year in her own home. And we are gonna we're gonna have Christmas lights on the outside, and this and I'm just gonna take a time because this is so important to me, and and I believe to the message today. That then we have guys, teams start going over there as soon as we close. We took the keys, and I know you're not supposed to do that, but we did it anyway. And we have guys go over there, rip everything out, putting in new cabinets, new flooring. People that don't go to the church showed up to help. I just think is fantastic. Other churches called how they wanted to be a part of this and then anything that they could do. And we've got people going this afternoon to buy stuff for the inside. We're setting up accounts because of all the extra money's given that she'll never have to pay bills a day in her life. And I just want you to understand this. And this, this is, yeah, we do. Let's, I mean, come on. And, and I could really just go on and on and on and on. You know, a lawyer, I'll just say his name, Todd Wolfhurst, he's one of our lawyers. He's a great guy. He sped the whole thing up and had us close three days from the day I called him. Just, just crazy stuff. People just seeing the power in this, you know, and, and, and moving uh, just in a crazy way. And, and I want to take you back to, I want to I tell you how amazing that is, and we could talk about how amazing that is. And it is amazing, but I want, I want to talk about what the Lord laid on our hearts last week, that we would do this, not because it made sense, not because there's not other people who are in need like Kelly, but that the Lord gave us an opportunity to radically love someone in a way that's close to the way that he loves us, as a symbol to who the church is supposed to be to the world and a symbol to the way that, that God's love and mercy and grace he's just poured out on us. And, and, I, and I think that this morning, the Lord wants to go a step further and a, a step deeper uh, into our hearts and our minds to, to make sure that we really understand the way that Jesus loves us and that we really understand what Jesus has done for us. Because there's a lot of people that, that know Jesus on a level, but they don't really know the fullness, and they don't understand the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. And the parable of the four soils, if you're not familiar with it, Jesus gives a parable of, of four soils, and he says that people are like these four soils. And, and the last one, the one that's fruitful, is the one that says they hear the word, and they understand it, and they accept it. And I think that there is a lot of people that hear the word, the gospel, the message of love and grace and mercy, the message of Jesus Christ, and know it and understand it on some level, but don't fully understand it and struggle to accept it fully and completely. And in reality, the gospel is this, that, that is, that's all we're really asked of is to, just to believe and accept the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus, and the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins that he's given us. And so my prayer this week has been that God will give us that understanding, a deeper understanding, that, that he might even give us a full understanding of who he is and what he's done for us and, and how we need to respond to that. And so 
I'm going to read this in, in Luke uh, chapter 7, starting with verse 39. Um, well, I'm going to tell you this. That way I don't have to read the whole chapter. Uh, there's a Pharisee named Simon. It's not Simon Peter. It's a Pharisee named Simon. Simon invites Jesus over to his house. Um, the community around Simon knew that Jesus was coming. Uh, and they, anywhere that Jesus went, dozens to hundreds to thousands of people would show up uh, just to be near him and be around him and just see him walk down the street. And so while they're... Um, sitting here when Jesus walks in, there is a woman either already there or walks in while, you know, while they're in there talking. And she walks in and she begins to bow down at his feet uh, and weep uh, over his feet and, and wash his feet with her tears and kiss his feet and anoint his feet with perfume. Very, very, very expensive perfume. And while this is happening, this is in verse 39 where we're going to pick it up. While this is happening, Simon the Pharisee begins to take issue with this. Now, he didn't really say anything out loud because he didn't have any guts like most religious people. But he just began to judge and think this and think, you know, if this man Jesus was really who these people think he is, then he would know the type of sinner that's washing his feet and touching his feet and he would never allow this. And so I'm going to pick this up right here because there's a powerful, powerful parable that Jesus gives in response to this. Luke 7, verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus uh, answered him, but I, again, i just like to point out, Jesus is funnily sarcastic. Simon didn't say anything, <laughs> but Jesus just started talking to him. I, some days I wish I could do that. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is the man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I, I want to... I want us just to stay here just for a minute. I want us to kind of go through this because Jesus delivers an extremely, extremely powerful point here to Simon's life and to this Pharisee and to the religious leaders of the day, to his followers who were there with him and even to us today. You've got these two people. You've got Simon the Pharisee, who's, who, who he owns the house. He's a religious leader. Um, he's somewhat well-known and respected. 
Then you've got this woman uh, who, who has much sin in her life. We know from other scriptures that this more than likely is Mary Magdalene. This is more than likely who was a prostitute through the course of her life and also uh, was possessed. It says that they drove out seven demons. Now that, I feel like one demon's tough. Seven demons, that's a big deal. And so this woman uh, you have here who was demon-possessed, who was a prostitute, uh, who was everything that that society hated the most in this Pharisee's house, weeping and crying at the feet of Jesus and washing his feet with her hair and dumping perfume that she bought probably by selling her body uh, on his feet. And then you have the Pharisee, Simon, who sees what's happening uh, and in typical uh, Pharisee form is immediately judging and condemning uh, not even just this woman, but judging Jesus for allowing this woman to be near uh, his feet and all and touch him at all. And, and Jesus, being the mind reader that he is, begins to tell this parable. And he, he's trying to make a point to Simon. This point right now isn't being made to the woman because the woman gets it. Simon doesn't get it. And so he gives this parable and he says, listen, uh, I'm going to tell you a story, Simon. And he said, okay, tell me. He said, there, there's two people. They owe a debt. One owes 50 bucks and the other one owes $500. And, and neither one of them could pay the debt. Neither one of them could pay the money that they owed. And so the one whom they owed the money to just ultimately uh, and fully forgave both debts. And then he asked the question to Simon, which one would love uh, the forgiver of the debt more? And the common sense, logical answer, Simon uh, says, well, I suppose uh, the one who was forgiven more would then love more. And then Jesus, in response to that, uh, he goes through and, and, and relays uh, all of the things that she uh, had been doing as a response uh, to this debt she's been forgiven, the sins in her life. And, and then he makes this statement, and this is the one I want to hang on to. There's, this, this parable is so deep, there's so many directions we could go, but this is the thing that is so heavy on my heart. He says, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, what you can't do really fast, I want to make sure that nobody does this, you can't read that uh, like she was forgiven because she loved a lot, because that's not what it says. That's, that's not what he's saying, and that's not the point. Jesus is teaching you some truth here. And I know in today's culture, in today's society, uh, when, when there, truth almost seems to be non-existent, when we see truth, uh, it, it's difficult to really process the depth of it and the, the, the uh, certainty of it and the strength of it. But Jesus here isn't giving a probability. Jesus here isn't saying, hey, most of the time, uh, if, if this is true, then this is true. Jesus is saying, uh, though I, can, uh, I do know the hearts of men and women, I do know uh, the sins in people's lives, he's telling, the, the, he's telling Simon, he's saying, I know that she's been forgiven much, not because I'm Jesus and I'm the son of God and that I know. He says, I can tell you that she's been forgiven much by the way that she's loving me right here and right now. He's not saying she's loving me so she's forgiven. He's saying she knows she's been forgiven and that's why she's loving me the way she's loving me. And so this is one of those things that we need to really understand because this is actually a pretty significant issue for people. This creates an issue for us, for you and me. Especially if you're a believer, if you're a true Christian and you put your faith in Jesus, this poses a problem. Well, because what Jesus is saying here is, he says, you, you can tell a lot about the way that you view the cross 
and that you view the work of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness of your sins by the way that you radically or not radically respond in love to Jesus. That if loving Jesus in the way that you see here uh, with this woman uh, who is weeping and washing his feet and pouring out expensive perfume and just everything in her power uh, to show him affection and to show him thanks and to give him glory and to give him honor, everything in her power to do this thing, he's saying, listen, she's loving me like this because she knows what she's been forgiven for. If you're not loving Jesus like that, then there's a misunderstanding in your heart, in your mind, about how much you have actually been forgiven. Because uh, when you have an opportunity to love Jesus and you love him little, it's not because you're having a bad day. It's because you have a misunderstanding of who he is and what he's done for you. When you have an opportunity to come into a room like this or to sit at home with your family and to worship Jesus through song and we choose to sip coffee or talk to our friends or walk through that, when we have an opportunity to show Christ true worship, genuine worship and love and affection and, and we choose not to do that, it's not because we're having a bad day or it's because we're bored or it's because of this, because the music's not good or the music's too loud or it, it, it's because we have a misunderstanding. Because if we had a true understanding, we would worship to hymns or death metal. I mean it, or no music. See, when you have an opportunity that I like to call life and time, when you wake up in the morning and you have an opportunity to be thankful and to love Jesus and to worship Jesus and be affectionate towards Jesus and to spend time with Jesus, but you give your time away and your life away to everything else in the world except for Jesus. It's not because you're a horrible person. It's not because you're a wicked sinner. You might be, but it's not because of that. It's because you have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for your life. See, this, this, this is a, a, an issue. This creates a problem, especially for modern Christianity. This individualistic society and culture where I can worship God on my own terms. Not true. You can worship God according to his terms. You don't have to worship God according to my terms. You definitely don't want to do that. You don't get to worship God. You don't have to worship God according to any other uh, body's terms or any religious terms or any denominational terms, but you also don't have the right to worship God according to your own terms. That's right. Because Jesus is a king. See, this is that we have a misunderstanding. Yeah. Jesus is a king. Right. Jesus is the creator, and you're the creation. Jesus is the shepherd, and you're the sheep. You're not equal to Jesus. You don't get to decide how you live this life. You don't get to decide what this life is about, what this world is. You don't get to decide what's good enough, what's bad enough. You don't get to decide what's right and what's wrong. You don't get to decide these things because you didn't exist until Christ created you and breathed life into you. And you had no hope in this life until the cross of Jesus Christ, until he died for your sins, until he conquered death through the empty grave in his resurrection. You have life because he gave it to you. You have hope because he gave it to you. He is your king. And that's not up for negotiation. 
See, the Pharisee mind in the modern American religious systematic mind in Simon's mind is that you can sit toe-to-toe with Jesus at a table and you can kind of investigate and get your answers and dictate to him how things are going to be and lay out. Not, you know, yeah, I'm a man of little sin. You know, I've messed up. Nobody's perfect, but I'm pretty good. And if you compare me to everybody else, I'm real good. So it's almost like, Jesus, you get to sit at my table because I'm one of the good sheep. Uh, So where's my blessing or where's my praise or, you know, am I ready to get promoted? Where's my crown uh, of of all kinds of diamonds? Where am I going to be in heaven? You know, and, 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 and you have a misunderstanding. You have a misunderstanding. And you have a misunderstanding uh, because when you go through and, and you read the parable, uh, we, we see the 500 and the 50 and we can identify with that. Because it's like, yeah, yeah I mean, there's serial killers out there. There's a 500. They owe $500 worth of sin. You know, when the warlords and the dictators, people like Hitler, those are evil people. But I'm not one of those. Jesus is lucky that I'm a part of his team. Because, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. The problem with this is, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but the problem with this is is that nobody misses the greatest point of the parable. And the greatest point of the parable isn't that somebody owed 50 and isn't that somebody owed 500. The greatest point of the parable is that neither one of them could pay their debt. And I don't know if you've been dirt poor like I've been dirt poor, uh, but there was a time when somebody would say, that costs $100, might as well be a million. I told somebody one time the, the school debt that I had, and they were like, oh, that's not that bad. And I'm like, well, when I live in a, a box, when I, when I, I don't have, I have the money, like everybody's like, we go to shop at Audi to save money. I'm like, I steal from Audi so I can eat. <laughs> if you don't, if you, if you, all you need is a dollar and you don't have a dollar and can't get a dollar, might as well be a billion dollars. But it's, it's evidence, the Pharisee inside of all of us, it's evidence uh, that when we see the 500 and the 50, the fact that we may even go, which one am I? Then you've missed the whole point. You have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. You have a misunderstanding of what he's done for you. See, the reality of it is, and, and, and I need to be very careful how I say this because this goes against modern thought process. Not doesn't go against the Bible, but it goes against modern thought process. People think that you're condemned because of your sins and you're not. You're condemned because you were born into sin and your actionable sins is just evidence and proof that you are a sinner. This is why in John 3, 16, 17, and 18, he says, uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, not to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world. I didn't come to condemn the world because it's already condemned in sin. We have this religious mentality that, that you know, if we cannot sin, if, 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 if we cannot tell a lie, if we cannot do this, if we cannot do that, 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 that we're somehow in this. The problem with this is, is that every little sin that you do commit is just proof that sin is still active in your body and in your mind and in your life. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans. 
When he's like, there's things that I want to do, but I can't do it. And there's things uh, that I don't want to do that I keep doing. And he says, though I see the law, talking about God's law, I see another law at work inside my members, inside my body. And it's a law that I call sin. It's, it's just active inside of me. Yeah, the fact that you're lying, it's not, you're not being condemned because you're lying. You're lying because you're already a sinner and the sin inside of you is what condemns you. We're born into it. I love my children. They are beautiful. They are smart. I used to make fun of parents who always acted like their kids are geniuses and perfect, but I am one. My kids are geniuses. <laughs> they are perfect. Not really. They are wicked sinners. Do you know what? I, nobody had to teach my little Aubrey, as precious as she is and cute as she is, nobody had to teach her how to be selfish. She's just born that way. <laughs> nobody, had, no, nobody had to teach Hudson how to scream no and run away in anger and frustration. It's inside of him. This is the beauty. This is the power of what's going on here, of what Jesus is trying to teach Simon. He's trying to say, Simon, brother, man, you're a sinner. And you're wicked and you're evil. And the little sins that you commit, you're not condemned for those. You're already condemned. That's just evidence and proof that sin exists inside of you. And it's not your lying that separates you from God, it's the sin inside of you that separates you from God. We have to understand this, because if we don't understand this, then we'll always on some level operate and live like Simon was, and we'll think some of us are 50 cent sinners and some of us are $500 sinners. And Jesus says no. We're all just sinners. And our sin has created a separation and a divide between us and the God who created us. And the gospel message is that God loved us so much anyway that he sent Jesus to the earth to let us know how much he loves us, to let us know about this thing called grace and mercy and then to die for our sins and to pay the debt that we owe because we owe a debt we cannot ever pay. And the reason why we don't live our lives with more radical love towards God and towards Jesus and towards others is because we either forget that or we never had a full understanding of it and we don't grasp the weight that Jesus bared on the cross. That, that the Romans didn't really kill Jesus, our sin is what killed Jesus. The nails didn't really pierce his hands, it's our sin that pierced his hands. That he was Emmanuel, God with us, because we desperately, desperately, desperately needed him and he came to our rescue. And so we, we can know, you know, we can know who Jesus is and, and know 
you know, what he's done. But if we don't have a full understanding of who he is to us and what he's done for us, then we're going to always live our lives more like Simon and less like this woman who's been forgiven of much. And at the end of the day, that's what Christmas is about. It's about a moment in time, a season in time where we stop as believers and we pay special honor to our King, our Creator, and our Savior. Where we stop and we meditate on who we are apart from Christ and what life would be like apart from salvation and even worse, what eternity would be like apart from salvation. It's a time where we just sit back and we reflect. It's not about reflecting on how wicked we are. It's not about that. It's about reflecting on how amazing Jesus is. And when we reflect on how amazing Jesus is, it becomes apparent who we are. But it doesn't condemn us and it doesn't make us feel guilty because we see the beauty of Jesus and what he's done for us. So there's a freedom and there's a joy. And as Jesus describes it, there is a peace that rests inside of us when we come to terms fully understanding and accepting who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so I have so much peace in my heart and in my mind. Not because I'm a 50 cent sinner or a $500 sinner, but because I know apart from Christ, I am deeply, deeply, deeply wicked. And the more you get to know Jesus and the more you get to know what good actually is, the more realistic you can see yourself. And over time, you love Jesus more and more and more and more because you come to terms with the fullness of what he's done for us. And so I come this morning to tell you Jesus loves you. And if you don't know how much, then you need to take a few minutes as we worship and you need to think through who you are and who he is and what he's done for us and what Emmanuel really means to us. This thought, you know, I almost titled the message, It Matters How We Respond When Jesus Walks in the House. But it's way too long. So I couldn't do that. But it matters. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is in this house. And if your faith is in him and you are saved and you have this peace, then we need to thank him and we need to worship him and we need to praise him and we need to celebrate him right here, right now, today, more than we ever have in our lives. And if you're sitting here today or you're at home or you're in a small group, and you feel something just moving in your soul and in your mind, and you just feel that and you just feel what? The weight of something. The presence of God maybe. The weight of conviction. Not condemnation. Conviction. That's Jesus trying to get your attention and tell you how much he loves you. And if you need Jesus, listen, I'd love to pray with you if you want me to. If you don't need me to. You don't need to be here. There's nothing special about this wooden carpet up here. 
The Bible says that we are the temple of God. The altar is wherever we bow our knee to Jesus Christ. And if you need Jesus this morning, bow your knee to him. Put your faith in him. Be saved by his grace and his mercy. And as he said, your faith has saved you. And we can leave this place in peace. Don't leave here unforgiven. Leave here forgiven. And if you are forgiven, then let's worship him. And let's celebrate him. And let's celebrate with these 15 people going public with their faith. Let's do that. Can we do that this morning? All right, let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And then we're going to baptize some people. But don't miss this moment. If God's moving in your heart and in your life, don't care about who's around you and who's watching. Give yourselves to God. Let's pray.